Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, the community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. If I've not met you before, my name's Scott. Um, I'm the pastor here at Christ Church, and how's everybody doing? Good. Um, we've been in a series of uh, We've been really reading the gospel of Jesus all year long in the gospel of Luke. And after Easter, we've been looking at all these different encounters with Jesus in, the, in his resurrected body. So we're thinking about in Eastertide, the season after Easter, what is it like to live in light of the resurrection? And I had the opportunity to take a prayer retreat uh, during Lent and in, in the books of, of Holy Scripture and, and time with the Lord, mainly in John and in, in the books of First and Second Corinthians. And uh, I feel like my imagination was captured for how the, the resurrection applies to us now in a way that's never really happened to me before. And so I want to share it with you this morning. So we're not going to be in the, the gospel. We're going to kind of take a break, and we're going to kind of do a, a macro view, and I hope I can simplify it enough to make it understandable. Uh, so would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, capture us this morning, Lord. Come in our midst. Lord, we pray that we would feel your presence among us and with us. Lord, I pray that our hearts would burn inside us as we hear the scriptures. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be present with each person in this room individually and do what you want to do in their life with these scriptures, Lord. We humble ourselves before you. We submit to your word, Lord. We ask that you would break us open. And all God's people said, amen. Um, my wife, Marissa, who's not here this morning so I can talk about her, uh, <laughs> she loves, I'm not going to say bad things, she loves things that grow. Flowers are her love language. She loves green things. Anything that grows, she's obsessed with. Uh, and so you can imagine Midwestern winters are tough. We've, she's from California, but we've lived in the Midwest for over a decade, so we're used to it, but they're still hard. Uh, except this past winter, during the week of the polar vortex. Remember that? Wow. That happened. That was a real thing. Uh, my wife did this experiment with our boys where she went outside and broke off a couple twigs and then came inside and put them in a mason jar with water. And guess what happened after like a week? They sprouted. During the week of the polar vortex. Marissa got so obsessed with it, uh, she just kept on doing it around her kitchen until I would, like, come home, and I kept on finding, like, plants. Like, what is this, a greenhouse, you know? Um, can you believe that? In the middle, like, think about what outside looked like during the polar vortex. Think about the trees, how dead and forlorn everything was, the gray sky. All that while, there, in all that deadness and coldness, there was life deep down, right? Waiting to explode. It was there. This is the mystery of creation and the mystery of the seasons, right? We get to experience every year, and it never ceases to amaze me. Everything you see now, I feel like this week is kind of like peak springtime. The Arboretum is in full bloom. Man, Madison is beautiful. Wisconsin is beautiful in the spring, and I feel like it's just all exploding right now. But everything you see now was there in January. 
It was just in seed form. It was deep down. It was waiting to explode. Now, when we saw those twigs in our kitchen in the middle of the polar vortex, it caused us to do two things. First, it caused us to hope, right? Look at that green leaf. That's going to happen everywhere soon, right? This is coming. It's deep down. But second, that hope caused us to groan. Um, think back to the polar vortex. Besides being able to do really cool experiments in 30 below with boiling water, you know, where you throw it up and it like freezes. And besides having the national clout of actually having lived through it, like we were the people who suffered under 30 below, you know. Do you remember the groan? My, my driveway had like six foot stacks of snow on either side, and I imagine it was similar for you. That was insane. Uh, I remember in the, in the winter groaning for spring, seeing those twigs and thinking, oh, I long for the day when the world is going to follow suit and burst into life. Um, four points this morning, and these points actually will help hopefully categorize what I'm, I'm trying to say. So if you're a note taker, you can write these down. I think it'll be helpful. Here's the first point. The world is a seed of res resurrection life. I'll say that again. The world is a seed of resurrection life. I share that story because that is the exact image the Bible uses for the resurrection. The Bible teaches as clear as day that God is in the business of making all things new so that everything you see in all its mortal frailty will one day be transformed in a resurrection. And it says this for us and for our bodies and it actually says it for all of creation. The world, according to the scriptures, is a naked branch in winter. Come on. Deep down, it's groaning. It's waiting to be transformed. Let me back this up from the Bible. This is from Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this winter, is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For we know, Paul says, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope what for we do not see. In other words, do you hear it all there? In other words, winter is hard, the sufferings at this time that Paul's talking about, but the coming spring, the glory that's coming, is going to swallow it up. And what will that look like? I think the best way to sum that up, uh, what this resurrection spring is going to be like, uh, it's best to just take Jesus at his word. Jesus, in the end of the Bible, the resurrected Christ, says this, which we've actually been singing a lot in our church. He says, Behold, I am making all things new. Amen? Isn't that the greatest quote ever? All things. All things. Our bodies will be fully renewed and glorified. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. God will restore us emotionally and spiritually as well as physically, right? He's promised to wipe away every tear from the eye, no crying, no grief, no pain. 
he will make all things new. And so Romans 8 says, we groan. We groan for it. Oh, to see that, to experience it. And we hope for it. Paul says we wait for it with patience. Do you know that we confess that we believe in this every single week in the Nicene Creed? We believe in the resurrection and the what of the world to come, the life of the world to come. That's how the Nicene Creed ends. We believe this. We can't see it. It's like winter in the polar vortex, but we believe it's going to happen. Now, what in the world founds our hopes in these things, okay? This is insane, what I'm saying. Uh, I'm saying that the whole world is a seed of resurrection life, and it's gonna, everything is going to be transformed. You should be asking, really? Like, come on, that's ridiculous. You're insane. How do you know that? That's a fantastic question. People in the Bible ask it, and the Bible answers it. The reason we have confidence and we believe that this will one day happen is because 2,000 years ago, in actual history, we got a sneak peek. When Jesus of Nazareth, the actual historical person, rose from the grave, the Bible says he was like the first fruits of the resurrection. Just like Marissa and I seeing those twigs blossom in the middle of winter and going, oh my gosh, spring is going to happen. The Bible points at Jesus' resurrection and says, look, it's true. That's proof. Jesus is alive. Let me back this up from the Bible. Here's how 1 Corinthians puts it. This is 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So when we celebrate Easter and we gather around the story of Jesus and the truth that Jesus died, was buried, descended to the dead, and then rose again, it's like all of us in the church are gathered around the first flower. It's like we're gathered around this one branch that's blossomed into a flower and we're going, oh, it's true, look. Some of you might know this. Uh, Chandra and Marissa did an art piece on this, but in Isaiah, that's the exact image that that the prophet gives for what's going to happen with Jesus, right? From a stump in a wasteland, there's going to be one branch that bears fruit. Jesus is the first one. Imagine with me for a second that there's a community, could be in Narnia where it's always winter, or just North Pole, or anywhere where it's super cold, whatever. A community that has never experienced spring. All they know of with plant life is that it's dead. And so they see dead trees and they think, well, this is the way it is. Imagine if one day they found a flower a sprout. Think of the paradigm shift. Not only that they're seeing it in real life, but then them looking at the rest of the world and looking at these other trees and being like, maybe this could happen to everything. Can you imagine? Jesus' resurrection compels us to look at the rest of the world in a new way. Does that make sense? In all its deadness and decay at ourselves, at our imperfections and our physical ailments, at everything, and say, one day, this is going to bloom. Amen? I know it, because Jesus is alive. The world is a seed of resurrection life. Okay, 
You guys still with me? What causes it to sprout? This is what got me. Marissa brought the twigs in and she put it in water in non-negative 25 degree weather and it sprouted. What causes the seed to sprout? Bible's super clear on this. Here's my second point. Death cracks the seed. Death cracks the seed. Listen to our reading from the Gospel of John this morning. John 12. This is Jesus talking. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Listen to Paul from 1 Corinthians 15 again. This is great. He assumes our question. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come from? So he's assuming people are like, this is crazy talk. You're insane. What's going to happen? And he says back, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of a weed or some other grain. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in dishonor. It is sown as perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown as a natural body. It is raised as a spiritual body. Both of those passages are saying the same thing. The world is a seed of resurrection life. Even though it doesn't look like it, you can't see it now. And in order for it to burst open into life, it must die. If a seed doesn't die, it's just a seed. And seeds are cool, but they're much better when they drop into the ground and they become an apple tree or something beautiful, right? That's the image. There has to be a death in order to be a life. Now, why do we believe in that? Why do we think that's true? Again, the model for us, the classic Sunday school answer is always the same. Why do we believe in this? Jesus. What did Jesus do before he rose again on the third day? You can talk back to me. He died on the cross. The road to the empty tomb went right through the way of the cross to Calvary. Amen? And his glory on Easter was great because his suffering was great. The power of his resurrection was commensurate to the power of the cross. Unless a seed dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Death cracks the resurrection seed. And so those who die in Jesus do not fear death. It's just the doorway to resurrection. Like the scriptures say, as we all die in Adam and return to, the du- return to dust, so we are all made alive in Christ. Amen? But here's where it gets really personal. You guys still with me? I told you this is a lot. I'm taking a risk throwing this much Bible at you. The Bible is really clear that this is a future thing. We groan and we hope for this day when the restoration and the resurrection will be complete. It's a future reality. It's a fundamental Christian truth. Again, that's why we confess it. We look to the resurrection in the life of the world to come. But the Bible is also really clear that the resurrection of Jesus and all its technicolor, abundant, insane, transformative life is meant to break into our experience now. In other words, we don't have to wait till we physically die in order to taste new life in Jesus. Jesus wants to start remaking us and cracking us open to resurrection life now. Amen? So here's my third point. We can experience resurrection life in Jesus now. The world is a seed of resurrection life. 
death cracks the seed, we can experience this now. Okay, I want you to turn with me to your Second Corinthians reading. Uh, what page are we on? Somebody call out the page number. Eight. Second Corinthians 4. Everybody there? Man, this is an amazing passage of Scripture. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body, meaning now, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul says the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. That word life is no ordinary life. Uh, when you see that word in your Bible or in your bulletin, you should see it in all caps, like with blinking bright, brilliant lights of the resurrection. That is resurrection, springtime, everything is changing, I am making all things new, life. Remember what Jesus says in John 10.10? 10? This is a famous quote from Jesus. I have come that they may have what? Life. And have it what? Glass half empty, kind of, trickling up from the faucet life. No. I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly, or I love the translation, to the full. You never say that in anything else. Like, I want to give you this to the full. But man, it's poetic. Life to the full. That is the life of Jesus, Paul says, is meant to sink down in us and start overflowing out of us now. Jesus begins his resurrection in us now, resurrection work in us now. So here's why I want to capture your imagination this morning, okay? Your life is a seed. Your life is a seed. I'm not making that up. I hope you can see that in the scriptures. Amen? Your mind, your body, your spirit is a seed. Your relationships, your marriage, your friendships, they're seeds your future, your thought life, everything around you, if we take the Bible at its word, is a seed. And Jesus wants to crack you open. Hallelujah. He wants to remake you. Amen? Feel like a dead tree in winter, what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter how much you feel like a dead tree in winter, he has the power to bring light and life. Remember what God said when he created the world? Everything was pitch black. It was dark. It was non-existent. What does God say? Let there be light. And what happens? There was light. Right before this, this bit that's quoted in your bulletin in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that through the Holy Spirit, God causes the light of new creation to shine in our hearts. 
meaning Jesus comes to you, whatever darkness is in your life, and he has the authority to speak new creation into your soul. You want that? How good does that sound? Amen? Right after it, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says that those who are in Jesus are a new creation. Those aren't analogies in the Bible. Those not, they're not metaphors. He's saying you are a new creation. Do you believe that Jesus has that kind of power and authority? Do you believe that that is actually what Jesus is offering? Some of you might be visiting church and being like, church is just this cultural thing and blah, blah, blah. And that's totally okay. I get it. I think that too. We need to shake ourselves out of that real quick to the actual power and offering of Jesus. Amen? He has the authority to remake you, to crack your life open. Do any of you know of any stories in the Gospels where Jesus tries to do something and can't do it? You ever thought about that? He's like, oh, yeah, I can, I can do this, and then tries, and it's like, choked at that one. No. Nothing is too dead for the Jesus spring. Amen? Nothing. Your life is a seed, and this should give you so much hope. Remember my fictional community living in the cold, thinking that dead trees are <laughs> the only thing that is? Man. We were meant to look at Jesus' resurrection and then look at ourselves, our bodies, this world, everything around us, and think, Jesus has that authority. He's offering that to me. Amen? Amen? But here's the kicker. Here is the kicker. How does that happen? This is how you know I'm not selling something. This is how you know Christ Church isn't selling something and Jesus isn't just some scam marketing ploy. How do you access it? Here's my fourth point. Death to self cracks the seed. You can't buy resurrection life from Jesus. Your money's worthless. You can't get it through learning some things, even Christian things, just filling your brain, like practicing a new philosophy or reading a, a self-help book or like really getting your, your theology right, even though that's an amazing thing to do. You can't force it. You can't self-actualize new life in Jesus. You can't self-empower your way there. And you can't find it in anybody else. You got to die. You got to follow in Jesus' footsteps. And he died before he rose again. I love in our Anglican marriage vows, it says that the way of the cross is the way of life. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Just as there is a way that we can share in Jesus' resurrection right now, there's also a way that we can share in his death. The Bible says that all over the place. And it says you can't share in his life without sharing in his death. Amen? Go back to 2 Corinthians 4, 4. I'm sure you saw this. But it says, for we who live, that means us, we're alive, are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus, that seed, 
can crack open and be manifested even now. If you were here last week, we talked a lot about Jesus' call to discipleship uh, with the story of Peter. And uh, there's some stock, thing that, stock, stock things that Jesus always says when he talks about discipleship and when he talks about the call to discipleship, calling people to follow him. And guess what discipleship language is all about? Death to self. It's all about dying. Listen to Luke 9. We read this last week, but I'll read it again. This is Jesus talking to people to follow him. So this is right to us. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. What do you do on a cross? You die. He's saying, pick it up daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life, that's death to self-language, for my sake will save it. And Jesus repeats the exact same thing after our verse this morning in John. He says the thing about the seed, unless the grain of wheat falls into the earth, it dies, it remains alone. If it dies, it bears much fruit. And he follows it with whoever loses his life, or sorry, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So dying to self is letting go of our life, our control, our will, our self-centeredness, and it's clinging to the eternal life of God. When he talks about losing it to find it, it's basically Jesus saying, which one do you want? You want the dead tree in winter? Or do you want me to crack it open? Jesus applies this to everything in the Gospels. Everything. Our money, our time, our bodies, our sexuality, our reputation, our plans and our priorities in life, our relationships, our comfort and our safety. I don't think I need to explain what it feels like to live for yourself in those areas. I think we kind of know what that feels like, right? Give me some head nods. But sadly, many people throughout the Bible and history don't take Jesus' offer. Um, there's a guy, there's a story in the Bible about a guy who's known as the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus, and he says, how can I inherit eternal life? So he's saying, I want the, I want the life. Can I have it? Like, how do I, how do I get it? And Jesus looks at him and loves him. Jesus doesn't judge this guy. But he's staring at him, and he's, he wants to crack him open. But he's really rich, and he can tell he has a lot of money, and he can tell that in order for him to be cracked open and let that life come through, he's got to let go of his grasp on his wealth. So Jesus looks at him and goes, give all your money away. And he walks away. He can't do it. I was reminded of the C.S. Lewis quote this week, which is hilarious, where it talks about Jesus coming into your life using the analogy of a house. And it says most of us turn to Jesus uh, like when we have a problem. So think of your house. You call Jesus in to fix the plumbing because like something is really messed up in your life and you really, really want help. So you work on the plumbing. I need help with it. Jesus, I know you can do it. But then you wake up the next morning and he's got like a jackhammer in your, in your basement is like working on something else. And you're like, whoa, I didn't ask you to fix that, you know? Then the next morning, he's like repainting your living room, and he's changing everything. C.S. Lewis's point is, Jesus doesn't just want part of you. He's not just going to come and fix on one thing. He wants the whole thing. Amen? And his vision for your life is bigger than yours. He sees a seed. He wants to break you open. So dying to yourself is completely handing over your life to him. All those things we just mentioned, saying, I trust you with these. These are yours. 
crack me open. I trust that your life is better than mine. So I'm going to lose mine. I'm going to lay mine down. And I want to grasp. I want to cling to your eternal life. And if this is still a little bit ambiguous, uh, phrases like these in Christianity can get like ambiguous and just sound like words. Uh, guess who our model is for what it looks like to die to self daily? Jesus. Um, he died on the cross. That's his greatest example of sacrifice and death. But Jesus did that every day. Jesus loved to say, I don't do what I want. I'm, my joy is to do what my Father tells me. I love doing as well. And Jesus lived for God and for others, full stop. Do you have any stories of Jesus grasping at things for himself, Jesus wanting to take things in his own control? No, he's the complete opposite. He's our model for what that looks like. And even though it's terrifying to die to yourself and open up your hands, it's not foolish. It's not self-denial for self-denial's sake. No, it's the thing that leads to life, right? And the greater the death, the greater the life. Second Corinthians also says that this happens over and over again. It says we're being changed into his image from one degree to another. Um, if you were here when we started Lent, the season of Lent, if you're visiting, the season of Lent is before Easter, uh, and it's a time of fasting and preparation for joy. So, like, it's the feast before the fast. And if you were here, I said all these kind of things about, like, this is a season where we say no to say yes, and we are denying ourselves so that we can have more of Jesus and all this stuff. And um, I was not prepared for how much God was going to use that in my home life with me and Marissa and our boys. Um, we fasted from things, and we said no to things that were precious to us, because I felt like if I'm preaching it, I should probably do it. Uh, but also, there were things in our life that were really hard. So it's like Paul um, talking about being, handed, you know, being crushed and being handed over to suffering. We had things that were really tough for us, and all of those things cracked us open. And Marissa and I experienced seeds just bursting open in our home out of the result of our death. It's true. I can testify to it. Here's the other thing I can testify to. I've been a Christian for a long time. Two things shocked me about Lent in my life. One is how much the resurrection of Jesus has started to explode. And the second thing is how much I still have to die to myself. This is not something you just do once and then you're fine. No, the offer is always there all around you to die more, to live more. Amen? That is the call of discipleship. So wherever you're at today, there's something to die to. There's a deeper way that you can tap into and let Jesus fill you with himself by becoming less yourself. Famous quote by Paul. I think this sums it up. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul did it, man. He died to himself. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus died for you. His body and his blood up everything for you. He's about to offer us his body and his blood. Jesus isn't asking any, you to do anything that he didn't do. Amen? Isn't that awesome? God never asks us to do things that he hasn't done in more deep ways than we could ever imagine. Where is Jesus calling you to die? 
Um, the Holy Spirit is so good at applying this stuff. Where is Jesus calling you to die? Where is there a point in your life where you are pitted between two lives, yours or his? And he's saying, which one do you want? You want me to crack it open? Give it to me. Lay it down. That's a good meditation for this week. The world is a seed of resurrection life. Death cracks the seed. We can experience resurrection life in Jesus now, and death to self cracks that seed. And it goes on and on and on your whole life. It'll never end. You'll, there, will, there will always be more of Jesus to have. So my prayer uh, this morning is that we'll take away two things. Hopefully you tracked through all that. Uh, that was like breaking a lot of preaching rules. I like, you know, try to keep it to a few amount of scriptures, and I just read like a thousand. Two things that I hope you take away. One is I hope your imagination broadens. Your world is a seed. Your life is a seed. Everything around you is well within Jesus' reach to transform. We have to believe that. If we don't, we don't believe the Bible. Amen? Uh, it would be easier to just say, like, Jesus is here to help you, and this is great. No, it's, it's way more insane than that. This world one day is going to be transformed in you too, and he wants to remake you now. So I hope your imagination is broadened and livened. The second thing is, I hope that this will renew or maybe nudge you for the first time to find joy in dying to yourself to take Jesus' life. Death to self is the sweetest decision. Amen? It's not, a, it's not a downer. Jesus is saying, I want to offer you the greatest life abundantly. And I hope as a community, I felt this, God was doing this last week in our church, uh, kind of restoring the sweetness of the call to die. I hope that for all of us, this makes us so excited about laying our life down, denying ourselves, and following Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in with me because he loved me and he gave himself for me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to just take a second Lord, I pray that you would renew our imagination. I pray for everyone here, Lord, that you would fill them with the amazing, enormous beauty of what you are offering us. Lord, I pray that we would understand that our world is a seed, our life is a seed, and you want to crack us open. Lord, convict us of where we are clutching to something that is killing us and we could die to ourselves and find life in you. And Lord, restore to us the joy of the call of discipleship that we would, just as you did all these things for the joy set before you, we would so long to have a deeper intimacy with you that we would lay it all down and follow. We pray all this in his strong name, amen. 